VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello everybody and welcome to The Ruck. I'm Alex Lowe, rugby correspondent for The Times. And joining me today by Zoom is Will Kelleher, who's a deputy rugby correspondent. Now we're on Zoom, Will, because Alfie, our superstar producer, new YouTube star, has uh, is ill. He insists it's nothing to do with going out in Bristol at the weekend with his mates for his mate's birthday. But anyway, we can't come into the the talk sports studios like we normally do um so we're, we're doing it on zoom but we're, we're good we're we're rehearsed in this uh how are you how was your weekend? yeah I'm, I'm good yeah it was good thank you and poor old alfie's got no right to reply does he but you were no. saying off air that you're gonna you've alfie's denied him a trip for your son as well who's gonna oh. come in and enjoy the office and everything <laughs> else yeah so my son's half term's finished but he now has an inset day and the plan was he was going to have to come up to the studios with me up. We normally record this in the talk sports studios in the news UK building. And he was actually quite excited about, about coming to the radio studios and seeing Graham Souness and Simon Jordan through the, uh, through the glass. But instead I've packed him off to his mate's house uh, so I can have a quiet house so we can do this. So um, yeah, Alfie, I hope you feel better. And you owe, you owe Henry a big day out at <laughs> talk sport towers, some point down the line. <laughs> Trip up the shard, all sorts. God, it's going to be expensive. Things, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm good. Um, we should stop at this point and say that everyone's welcome for being greeted by multimedia sensation, Alex Lowe, who was, I was listening this morning to a, a rival podcast that you're on in Jersey. You're on the BBC's Rugby Union Weekly, Alex, on your trip to yeah. Jersey last week. I don't think we're rivals, are we? There's room for everybody. Yeah. Um, friends. Yeah, friends. No, I, was in, I was in Jersey uh, for England had their training camp over there last week, as I'm sure everyone knows. And Friday, we were just standing by the by pitch side at Jersey Reds watching England train when Chris Jones, our good friend, shoved a microphone in my hand and, and hit record. So we had a bit of a chat as we watched England training, which was interesting. Um, and and it was a good week, actually, in Jersey. We, we had a good chat with Marcus Smith, some of which we'll listen to coming up later on the pod. Uh, and a good chat with Jack Willis, really. First chance to catch up with him since Wasps hit the wall. Um, we watched training. Uh, and outside of the rugby, anyone who goes to Jersey really has to visit the Channel Islands liquor company distillery for a mm. tasting you and i went there on our, on the lions for the lions yeah yeah for the lions and anyway i i did a repeat a return visit uh it's a distillery down by the harbor make their own gin go foraging for local ingredients um their sort of signature gin has got guernsey rock samphire in it which is pretty special um and they've also managed to sell rum back to the west indians they've got they've got their rum in in bars across the Caribbean, which is which is quite some feat. Selling selling rum to the West Indians is, it, it, <laughs> I guess I guess you don't get much better than that. And it's a rum with uh, with cannabis in it. Well, you should say at that point, Alex, that it's the CBD type of cannabis that is legal. The George Cruz sort of supplement cannabis. Not you weren't smoking doobies in, in the Channel <laughs> Islands all week. No, it is very good though. But uh, no, it was uh, all all totally legal above board. I would definitely recommend it. It's a it's a brilliant experience and. Um, I'm not being paid to say that. It's just genuinely really good, <laughs> and I, I, uh, I had to change my suitcase into a, in, put it in a hold on the way back so I could bring some gin back with me. Um, nice, so it was a good nice. week. It was a really good week, and England seemed in good, in in uh, in good spirits. They trained 
pretty hard. You couldn't quite get you can't get a full handle on what's going on, but but what you know you could see some of the combinations. But actually, most interestingly, you know, we used to watch training all the time, and Eddie Jones in England have have really restricted it uh, now, which is a shame because you do get a much greater sense of how the team operates. And um, I couldn't tell you who's going to play in the game against Argentina just from what we watched, but I could tell you who was being influential and just the little conversations that Ben Youngs was having and um, and just the kind of the the arm around the shoulders or the or the G up that, that Ellis Genge might be giving to, to, to a young player like Alan Radwan. Or it was just, you just get a, a much better sense of, of how that team functions and who's important and and who's who's taking on what roles and responsibilities. It was it was a really great experience actually. And there was, I don't know, maybe a thousand people watching, local fans and kids on half term and um it was it was full on. It wasn't full contact, but I'd say it was sort of I don't know and it wasn't touch either. It was sort of semi but mm. it was more than more than grapple. It was a sort of grapple plus contact and, and it was intense <laughs> yeah. and there's and there's, there's no stoppages um and they were they were did this brutal fitness session at the beginning and um yeah it was it was just good to get back and actually watch them train which especially through covid we definitely couldn't do and and um and these open sessions are are great actually to yeah to get an understanding of of that team dynamic and who relies on who and and who yeah who's important yeah it's a funny time of year isn't it because we we sort of at this point start looking in two directions and then fully focus on the auto international. So I, on Friday, I was at King's Home watching that probably one of the last Prem games I see for a little bit, because we just don't have time to do those while we're watching England games on the weekends too. But that was talking of grapple. That was full bore. That was lots yeah. of forwards smashing into each other. Scott CEO, hell of a couple of carries for him. But I think I wrote in my match report for the times on Friday night into Saturday morning that, it's been a long old time since we've seen Gloucester properly looking like they could challenge for the Prem, but that looked like a Gloucester team ready for, to challenge for honours. They're not at the top of the table yet. Saris are up there. They beat Sale, didn't they, on the weekend in that mm. 1v2 clash, um, which you were at. But yeah, sold out King's home, mauling and brawling. And then you've got Lewis Reece, Summit Magic. I mean, I've done some statistical stuff for my Monday more for the time subscribers about actually the more the work he did off the ball, which George Givington was really impressed by. But if you just want on the ball stuff, that assist he gave for Lewis Ludlow in the corner was epic. I mean, the swerve off the right foot, the chicken wing offload out the back, really cool. And actually on that note, um, we're talking about multimedia, Alex Lowe. Well, it's going to be multimedia Lewis Reece summit soon, I think, because Fans won't know where we sit. Um, well, they know where we sit, but after the games, we go into the sort of media room that's behind one of the stands and near the hospitality areas and changing rooms and stuff. And while I, we spoke to Lewis Reece Summit um, after the match, and following him around was a camera crew, um, which I wasn't quite aware when I was asking my questions, so I maybe would have polished them up a bit better if I knew. <laughs> um, but I think the idea is that his management company is... Um, filming a documentary essentially about him following him around for a year and hopes to sell it to someone in a few months time, like Netflix or Amazon or whoever else. So interesting. They, they picked a good game to follow him around with because he was, he was epic and the shed were singing his name and he was throwing his hands up in the air and singing along sometimes. So it was, it was a good Friday night at Kingside for sure. Yeah. I think Ellis Genge is doing something similar and, and it, that really does play into a long-standing conversation on this pod about about trying to get the, the characters of, the, of these guys out there, so so people get to know who they are off the pitch as, as much as on it. Um, so that's good to good to hear. And we'll definitely we'll return to King's Home and we'll we'll have a, a proper chat about the Premiership a, a bit later on the pod. Jess Hayden's going to join us to review England's victory over Australia in the Women's World Cup quarterfinal and and look ahead to to two big semi-finals coming up. But first, with a bit of help from Marcus Smith, Will and I will run the rule over the Autumn International Series. Yeah, first and foremost, Manu's a brilliant bloke. He's um, he's always looked after me ever since I was young. So as a bloke, he makes me feel very comfortable, makes me feel um, like I can be myself. And I love that about him. Um, and then on the field as well, he's, he's an absolute beast. He's... Uh, 
he's a freak ball in hand. Um, he's got brilliant hands at the line and, and he, he bangs pretty hard in defence. So it's lovely to look outside and, and um, know he's there for you because he's, he's always got my back, which is, which is pretty special. And I think he, he adds a fear factor to our team. Um, I know when I play against him, I, I get that on a Friday night. That was Marcus Smith talking about uh, Manu Tuolangi. Marcus has been an ever-present in the last year for England and two of the most important players outside him have have not been. Um, Owen Farrell wasn't even in Jersey as he recovers from concussion, although he's going to come back into England camp this week. And Manu Tuolangi hasn't played for England for a year since he damaged his hamstring, was it, Will, against, uh, yeah. against South Africa last November. So this... This idea of England growing their attacking game, which Martin Gleeson is responsible for. Now, Marcus has played four times with Owen Farrell, not even four complete games, um, and only once with with Manu or twice with Manu Tuolangi, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, so there's a lot for England to to try and make work in this autumn, um, and it is one of the reasons why I, I'm. I'm certainly not as negative as some people about the the, the Smith Farrell partnership. I I can genuinely see how that can really work effectively. Problem is that they don't they haven't really had much time together, and as we have often said on this pod, the single most important factor in that bat line is Manu Tuolangi. Like it or not, and I know a lot of readers and listeners are like, "Got to move on from Manu." Got to move on from Manu, and I understand why because his injury record means that. Um, England are often having to to, to fill a, a gap there and wait for him to come back. But if they can get that management of him right this year, like they did in World Cup year 2019, then as Marcus Smith just just said, and, and as England fly halves have said ever since he made his debut in 2011, Manu's a game changer for what England try and do. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he hasn't quite been the kind of rhino-esque carrier for sale this season, but he's he's looked decent without those kind of marquee runs where he's barreling through about seven different blokes. And we've written and read lots of articles about Alex Sanderson saying that we've got to have him on a different programme to other people. And you hope that a sort of younger coach with a bit of a different look at it, like Sanderson, has finally got there with convincing England to come up with a really good plan for how Manu's managed. Because... Mm. This the only way it's going to work is if he's treated differently to everyone else, which is very not. It's not very rugby, that is it. Um, footballers do it all the time, but I remember. I mean, it's very different personality. But I remember the last few years of Ledley King. Do you remember that when he basically his knees were shot to bits, but he'd never train. But he was a king on the weekend um, yeah. for Tottenham. No pun intended. But. Um, Maybe that's what they need to do with Manu. Like, why batter him in Jersey? It didn't seem like he did too much training, did it, Alex? When you saw him? No, again, it's only a snapshot. But that one open session, he was um, he was doing his own own stuff around the edges and, and wasn't involved in the the sort of the physical stuff in in the game the game situation. Henry Slade took a big role in that, um, and you know I think that's where that's one of the, the challenges that England have always had is, you know, I wonder if that's why Joe Cock and Singer remains. In the squad, I have to say, I thought after he was dropped with Joe Marchant after the first test in Australia, I did wonder whether that would be it for him under Eddie Jones. Joe Marchant stays out, but Joe Cockin Singh is still there because he is a player who can provide that physicality if Manu isn't around. Admittedly, not in that, not naturally in that same channel. But England's options there go to Guy Porter, who is, you know, he's a he's a physical. Guy, but straight not, up and down, yeah, not in the same mould as as Manu, Henry Slade, um, or or a Will Joseph, who is one of the players. You know, I just wonder whether we'll see a bit of him this autumn. He got a couple of minutes in Australia, but he's he's really impressing the England coaches, playing mm. really well, obviously for for London Irish. And again, the, the bits that you, that you see, he runs. He his mannerisms are just like his brother. He's got this sort of shuffle step, and um, when he makes a break, he he has this just the same style of running, the same body language as as his brother. Um, and the England coaches are were seriously impressed with him in, in on the tour. And again, I understand in, in the Twickenham camp they had, um, and he caught the eye once or twice in this session that we watched. So they've got options, but they're all very different. Um, and it and it comes back to 
to the the bang that, that Marcus Smith just talked about um, in attack and defence. And, and and if you know, Manu's not the same size he was, that's the other interesting thing. He's mm. he, he's he's I mean he's he's a big lad, but he's a slimline version of what he has been in the past. Um, but reputation, his reputation's there. You know how how devastating a carrier he can be, and and it's just about the balance, isn't it? And the variety of of options. And England are coming up against um, an an Argentina team on Sunday, where we know exactly what they're about. I mean, they've got some wonderfully gifted uh, wide players. You know, a few of them playing the Prem, Carreras, mm. the Carreras, for example. You know, great speed, great pace, but it all focuses in on on that gain line battle and the, and the brutality really mm. of players like uh, Pablo Matera hitting England at the breakdown and Montoya as well. Yeah, exactly. Montoya's you know, who's been brilliant um, in those exchanges for, for since he joined Leicester. Um, that battle of the gain line and getting England going forward is critical because if England can go forward, they've got they've got the playmakers and they've got the pace. And the decision makers to to make the best of it. Um, it's just been an area where I think they've struggled recently. Yeah, and actually on that note, um, another thing that I've looked at for my more thing is the partnership between Genge and Sinclair, which I think is really important now for England. And it's odd, isn't it, to think that the two props could be the playmaking unlockers, I suppose. But I was just looking at a couple of trucks. I was having a conversation with Pat Lamb in the week. Um, on his weekly press call. And he was, I was asking him about Genson Sinclair and how they've kind of dovetailed. Cause we've all, we've watched them, haven't we for what, six years for England when they first went as apprentices to Australia and thought, wow, if you could get them playing well together in a test side, that'd be unbelievable. And the final, the, the first bit of it really has been this, this Bristol few months, this first month or so, because actually for England, I was looking earlier, they've only played together, I think four or five times. They've started a test match to the, together. And actually, it was only till recently that Genge has been starting test matches at all. Um, has propelled himself to one of the best sort of ball-carrying props in the world. And he's added the scrummaging. But the tries that um, Pat Lamb mm-hmm. picked out, which were really interesting, were two that are an identical setup um, where Sinclair stands at first receiver, attracts a defender, and has on his shoulder Ellis Genge piling through a hole. He creates a little dog leg in the defence by attracting the guy, flicks a little tip on past again, she smashes through. And people who watch the Prem will remember that happened in about the first five minutes of the season when Ellis Genge ran through Bath. And actually that happened about 40 metres out and he still mm. made the line. And then they did exactly the same move against Gloucester in a game they actually lost. But I just think if England can get that going together, as the sort of first point of attack, almost like in an Irish way where they use Tyg Furlong's hands and put Porter through holes and guys like Ronan Kelleher and all that. If they can get that as the first line of attack and then behind it, you've got, you've already made the yards if they don't go and score straight away. And then you've got the, the likes of Smith to dance with Manu outside him, Jack Knoll, someone like a Malins or a Sokka if he plays. That is surely a way of, England's attack evolving that we've been waiting to see, haven't we? I mean, it's been last autumn was the one where everyone thought, okay, here we go. That South Africa game, rope a dope. The Six Nations hardly saw it at all, barely scored tries, really, didn't they? Um, Australia was then, oh, we're going to level up the attack. And first test didn't really see that. It looked really clunky. Second test was largely thanks to Genge and his carrying, really, wasn't it? And the, the forward battle. And then the third test was a bit of a different one. And Smith actually scored a nice try off sort of counter-attack, really, didn't he? But this has got to be the autumn, hasn't it, where they're laying on attack. Although then you had Eddie Jones saying the other day, we don't want to show our hands. So it's, 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 show a, too it's a really much. odd one. It's definitely, it's definitely an area that, that they've they've talked up more than they've delivered. Um, England. And, yeah. and I think there are factors behind it. I mean, if you don't have... If you build your, your game plan around Owen Farrell, and we know that, that they do... Um, you know, Owen wasn't in Jersey, but he was watching training every day uh, remotely and dialing into to team meetings and Zoom calls. He's integral to what they do. If he's integral to what they do and he's not there, that doesn't just doesn't help. Um, and then that series in Australia, I agree. Like the first half hour of the second test was 
was outstanding really but it became a bit of a battle to to just get through the series as winners um and it and it came down to heart and fight and, and defensive grit in that third test which you know all of which are are, are massive key qualities you know if you want to go and win a test you've got to have those and actually we saw Saracens um have to fight like a bit like that to beat Sale on 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 Sunday um so England have four tests this autumn to try and show those improvements that that they're striving for uh Argentina followed by Japan which replicates their first two games of the World Cup uh and then they finish with New Zealand and then South Africa in what Eddie Jones is is terming as a as a mini World Cup to get them ready for for 12 months out, which they they did the same four years ago. We're talking Monday. They're coming back into camp today. Um, And it sounds like, Will, you've got got an update? Yeah. So this is remarkable and I can't quite believe it, really. So we need to find out some more info when we finish the pod. But um, two Fridays ago, sitting at London Irish watching them and Henry Arundel went off to start with and everyone thought, oh God, here we go. And then even worse, Johnny May dislocated his elbow, um, which we talked about last time on the pod. I was with guys in Gloucester and weekend asking about how he was and they were saying, do you know what, he's actually training already. And we're thinking, blimey, how's that happened? And it seems like he's going straight back into the England camp and the specialist has, has given him the okay to join up with them. So, that is remarkable. I mean, actually, it's funny because there'll be, uh, I don't can't remember his name, but there was a person who tweeted me when I said, oh, look, that looks like he'll be out for a long time, being like, oh, don't know, don't write him off. That might be uh, premature because it depends how the elbow settles. And I just thought, come on, really? Like, dislocate your elbow? Mm. But fair play to the tweeter. He was right. So Johnny May coming back. And actually, the understanding is that Tommy Freeman isn't too far away himself, but maybe might miss the first couple. He's not in a boot anymore for after his foot injury. And similar with Arundel, that he probably could be available for South Africa and New Zealand at the end of the autumn. So there's a chance for the likes of Thokina Seeger, Max Malins, Caden Murley to take a shirt in the first couple, but then knowing then could have two or three top-class wingers coming back to take the spots to the latter end of it. So I don't know, Alex, where, where would you go? As It seems like Jack Knoll's probably going to play the 14 role. And actually, interestingly, after England confirmed our story that they were having names on the backs of jerseys, he was one of the three they picked to show it off with mm. Smith 10, Genge 1, Knoll 14. So that was a, possibly a play to him playing in the game. I don't know. Um, but yeah, on the other wing, loads of options. Well, I don't know so what you'd go for. Th- there are loads of options. Um and obviously, if, if everyone was fit, you'd be looking at Tommy Freeman. He was outstanding on the summer tour. Johnny May has actually been injured or had COVID and missed out on a lot of opportunities. He he wasn't at peak form when um, when he was last in the England squad, but obviously he's a class player and and that that pace he brings is um, is pretty exceptional. But initially, I'd go for Caden Murley. Um, mm. I just see I see issues or weaknesses in in his rivals which I don't see in him. Um, like Adam Radwan is quicker, but he's he's not as competent under the high ball. Defensively, he's he's less uh, less assured. Cochrane Singer brings physicality, but I think, but, but Caden Murley's no, um, no soft touch. And I just love the consistency about his game. He's, he's a player who, who, who is always, always effective. Um, I don't think has any weaknesses in his game. And, the only issue might be that he's similar as this sort of bustling, aggressive winger to, to Jack Knoll. But for Argentina uh, and Japan, particularly Argentina, where it's going to be physical and they're going to have to, they have to get stuck in. I, um, I'd pick him to play on on the other wing. Plus, plus, you know, he's a, he lives with with Marcus Smith, and they they have mm. a natural connect on field connection already. Um, so I, I'd have I'd have those, I'd have and and Murley in the absence of, of Tommy Freeman with, with Freddie Stewart at, at, at fullback. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that a, innate understanding with Smith and before they all yeah. went away, there was the try that Smith actually scored, but he popped a ball inside to Murley on his shoulder to set the whole thing up against sale. Um, but it showed how Murley can kind of float around him and just know what he's doing. Yeah, I was going to think sure. too, is that wrapping up this section, I suppose, 
what are we demanding then from England? We we've had a weird twenty twenty two with England, haven't we? Covering them and not quite sure what they're up to and what they're doing and what what if we if seeing is believing and all that. It's got to be at least a three from four autumn, I suppose, is it? Uh, yeah, and and actually, you look at New Zealand. New Zealand is no great shakes, and I think England should be expecting to beat the All Blacks. Yeah, and and South Africa won't be at full strength in that fourth test because it's outside of the window. So the, there's a handful of players they won't be able to to call upon, including like Jasper Visa, Cheslin Colby, those guys, basically guys in England and France. I think the the Japan players will be available. Um, that's probably probably looming as the as the tougher of of the four. I mean, famous last words, your blacks can, can click and they can turn turn things on, but they've had to send some players home injured. Brody Retallick is going to be suspended. Mm. You know, I, I, they're still trying to find out who they are. England is still trying to find out who they are. And I think that's, you know, Eddie Jones will, will look for squad development over results because we know that's how he operates. But in if England can, can win these games, they will, in doing so, start demonstrating who they are. Um, and and what their identity is as a team, we saw in Australia that they were scrappers and fighters, um, which they really needed to demonstrate after the Six Nations, where they lost three out of five. They had to show some character, and they did, and that that's given them a foundation. Um, I do think there's an opportunity, even you know that those in, that injury list notwithstanding, to go and and, and move on and actually um, make a bit of a mark this autumn because. Argentina and Japan are not are no easy beats anymore. So um, I think it, I think that it's an an autumn of opportunity for England that they really have to take. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting where the others go for it as well. Quickly as well, Ireland, South Africa. That's going to be a big one on Saturday night, isn't it? Wales, New Zealand. The train strike. If anyone can get there. Uh, yeah, there there are loads of of really exciting fixtures. Actually, as you say, Ireland, South Africa, um, France. A play South Africa in Marseille, uh, which will give everyone a, a taste of what it will be like down there for England in, in the World Cup in a year's time. We're actually, we'll come on to, to Scotland, Australia later, but you know they should have beaten the Wallabies. Um, we, we'll find out more about the All Blacks. It's, it's a great, it's, it's an exciting period where um, we, we can all get lost in, in Test Rugby for a bit. Um, coming up next on the right, we'll have Jess Hayden, who's been locked into the Women's Rugby World Cup. Joining us now on the ruck is Jess Hayden, who has been all over the Women's Rugby World Cup, but is probably a bit sleep deprived and bleary eyed after after four quarterfinals, all in the, the the depths of the night. Jess, how how are you feeling? How was your weekend? I'm good, thank you. I did watch all the matches, so I'm basically about ninety percent coffee now and <laughs> struggling through a bit on this Monday morning but yeah it was worth it some really great rugby and I think I've successfully transitioned now to being um like nocturnal but still you know but now this week having to work in the day is a challenge but I'm getting there with lots of coffee. I saw the uh the New Zealand Wales game live that was a, a bit more of a social hour um yeah. but uh England through to the course of, through from the course finals into the semi-finals against Canada, which is going to be another middle-of-the-night job. But give us a, your expert eye on on how England did. Uh, 41-5 victors over Australia. Yes, well, the first thing to mention was that the weather was truly horrific and worse than any match that I can remember. The rain was so heavy that every time someone took a step on the pitch, water was flying everywhere. And the sounds, it sounded like sound effects from a cartoon when the players were running because it was just like... Ur, 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 ur. Yeah, it did. Have you seen the video of Emily Scarrett wringing out her socks at half-time? <laughs> yes, it was ridiculous. And they had to change at half-time. I noticed they all came out in dry kit, which was soaking wet again five minutes later. Um, but I, I felt so sorry for them. It was an incredibly tough match to play in. I think also a lot of the players have said it was incredibly fun uh, because playing in those kind of wet conditions are fun. And one of the, with Australia's only try, actually, the try scorer slid across the try line to score and almost ended up in the stands because it was just like a slip and slide out there. But a, a brilliant game from England again. It was a lot, you know, they didn't really get the chance to show off the this new playbook. They keep promising us about playing through the backs a bit more. 
But I think what's a, a really good sign of how well England controlled this match is that they only conceded five penalties in those horrific conditions. You'd imagine that, you know, there'd be a, a very high penalty count. Australia conceded 12. They, they say rain's a leveller, right? And that when it rains, you might have a chance. I think that maybe that was a bit too hopeful of Australia there. And obviously it didn't end like that. But no, promising signs from England that they can still control the game when conditions aren't in their favour. Jess, I was going to say on that um, note of the weather, I remember a, a minis rugby tournament I played, I think it was at like Staines RFC or something like that. And it was one of those horrible Sunday mornings in March or something, which is horrendous. And I remember it was the days where, you know, that you're like under sevens, the, the dad or the coach actually stands on the pitch and goes, go on, lads, go and tackle the guys. <laughs> and they made us before the game roll in the mud so that we weren't annoyed about it when it happened in the game. So it's a bit old school, isn't it? I don't know whether Simon Middleton did that for the <laughs> I was wondering on a more serious note, and it's one of those sort of hypotheticals, isn't it? But if the weather hadn't been that bad, do you think they would have actually opened up a bit more? I'd like to think so. So last week Simon Middleton well actually since yeah, since the South Africa match, Simon Middleton's been saying that he's been really disappointed by criticism that England are too reliant on their driving more. And I did an interview with Sarah Byrne this week about that and about kind of, you know, are England too reliant on it? They score a lot of their tries through, you know, line out driving more a front row normally pops over and scores. Sarah Byrne is someone who normally kind of is rewarded from that. So it was an interesting conversation. And she said, well, if it, if ain't broke, don't fix it. And Maud Mier said the exact same thing on our podcast last Thursday, except she said, if it ain't fixed, don't break it. But we knew what she meant. <laughs> There's, it, I think that we're, we're hoping we see a bit more. I'm not that critical of it, because I think if you win a World Cup, no one, you know, and I think, I can't remember who said this, I think Emily Scarrett said this as well. No one remembers how you scored the tries. It's just that you've won a World Cup. It's incredible. Of course, for fans who are waking up very early in the morning, they might want to see more from their favourite players like Abby Dow and, and Jess Breach on, on the wings but and playing it through the hands a bit more. So potentially, we'll, yeah, we might have seen a bit more if the conditions were better, maybe just to prove a point that they do have this other way of playing. I think what's quite funny, though, is that Sam Middleton has said, you know, we need, I need to box smart. There are lots of clever coaches going into the, the knockout stages and potentially into the final. That's going to be a really tactical game. New Zealand in the 2017 final came out at half time, after half time and played a completely different style of rugby that they hadn't played all tournament. And it just threw England uh, completely and they didn't know how to react to it. And unfortunately, then they lost their lead and, and lost the final. So I think. It's quite funny that we keep talking. Yeah, but we're going to bring out a secret. It's not a secret, is it, if you keep saying, but we're going to, we've got this new playbook that we're bringing out and we're going to use it. So I'm not quite sure. I think that the, the simple answer is we haven't seen it yet. I don't, think, I don't think the match on the weekend was the time to see it because of the conditions. And I'm hoping that we might see it again. In, in, we might see it in the semi-final or the final, but I'm not going to hold my breath because I'm actually really enjoying the style of play that they are playing and they're winning. And I think it's not one for just the people who love watching backs running really fast but it is amazing rugby to me it's interesting conversation I, I saw Ali Donnelly who um who, who wrote the the history of women's rugby book scrum queens she, she was arguing that because this England team are so successful and so good that there's a there's an expectation on them to be to be perfect as in to, to play the perfect game every time and, and by that I think she you know that it's exactly what we're talking about here that that you play this fast loose fluid rugby but you can also score tries through the forwards and, and you just you're, you're this all-court team and, and so there's an expectation on England to, to deliver that because they've won 29 games in a row and, and the gap between them and the, the teams they've played largely thus far maybe, maybe France accepted has been has been so great the other element which I'm interested in is something that Will and I have heard Eddie Jones talk about. He's got 12 months planning to the next World Cup, and he's already saying that that they are they'll be working on 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 a playbook in training that they don't plan to unveil until they need to at the World Cup. You have to keep things back a bit, and I guess we saw that in the way that England defeated the All Blacks in that semi final in 2019. A, a huge amount of planning went into one game, so I wonder whether. At the moment, England can can play in the way they're playing, and they can win handsomely uh, in the way they're playing, knowing perhaps knowing that that they've got something else in their locker should they need it. 
or or should the the game d- demand it? Um, but also Ali's point, the expectation is there probably a bit too high on on a team that they can't do much more than win twenty nine games in a row, can they? Exactly. And what Ali also said was that perhaps they're building themselves a bit of a, a story here because when you've won so many games in a row. Um, you're not really ever able to say you're the underdog. So if there's any chance that this is motivating them by the criticism that they're playing one style of rugby, then perhaps that is what they're they're doing. But you're absolutely right. There is pressure to be perfect and pressure to be entertainers. And that pressure is a, a big pressure if actually the way that you're winning is through the mall, which isn't that pretty. But it works. They've, they won 11 malls against Australia and 100% of their lineouts. And those that those small marginal gains such as you know in the line out and in the mall are so important in rugby that it's still impressive it's just not impressive if you just want to watch the backs run away with it which is brilliant and we want to see it and as I say that Australia try where she flew down the um down the pitch and looked like she was going to end up in the stands was brilliant to watch but yeah I think for us as rugby fans and people who support England as well I would say they, you want the seat. You want to see them winning, really. I was thinking of a parallel this morning, and I'm kind of probably the wrong age for this. We maybe should have Stuart Barnes on talking about this, but wasn't it the '91 World Cup final, England Australia, where for the whole tournament England were smashing people up in the forwards, and then the Aussies basically baited them into trying to play a more attacking style, um, and they did. And lost the game in the final. They lost 12-6 in the final. So I wonder whether England just need to stick to their guns. And if they can beat the Black Ferns, who we expect to be in the final with this style, as you said, Jess, who cares if they won the World Cup kind of thing? It doesn't matter. But don't go the other way right at the last and then just slip over. Yeah, Don't expect the Black Ferns, Jess. I mean, as outlined in the semi-finals, New Zealand will play France. And uh, and England will play Canada. What are your thoughts on on those two games and and the Black Ferns who, and the, maybe the strides they've taken since we saw them play over here and and get thumped um, by England? What was that a year ago or so? Um, they, they look the real deal now. They do. I think that it will be an England New Zealand final. Obviously, there's there's always an upset. And Rachel Burke and I've been saying the other podcast. There's always an upset, and we haven't had it yet. Um, I'm not sure we are going to get it. I think that New Zealand will beat France. I think France have it in their locker to beat them. And I think England-Canada is going to be a fairly straightforward game for England. So, um, yeah, Canada missed 26 tackles against the USA in the quarterfinals. And I think that that will be a worry for them. And England will capitalise on that. Uh, They've got some very strong carriers and people are able to make very strong line breaks as well. So I, I think that would be a pretty straightforward win for England and for New Zealand as well yeah and Will on your point there about changing the the game plan I I completely agree and in the quarterfinal against Wales New Zealand were constantly kind of drawing the ball out wide and if they do that against if, if England if they do that against England then I think they might find a way to score because if England are drawn into the centre of the pitch and don't have and players are drawn into the mall etc etc if New Zealand are able to get the ball, then I think that they, there is that scoring opportunity out wide. They have some really, their strongest car- carriers and strongest players are on the the wings, Porsche Woodman and Ruby Tui as well. So I think that that will be a that will be where New Zealand will potentially look to pick off some some easy scores. Thank you, Jess. And for anyone who wants further in depth analysis and and more chat on the Women's Rugby World Cup, tune in on Thursday for the latest edition of of Jess's Women's Rugby World Cup podcast with Rachel Burford. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So just before we turn all of our attention to the international game, we should just reflect on another fascinating round of, of Premiership Rugby. Um, Will talked us through the, the Gloucester-Exeter game uh, that, that he was at on Friday night, the, the mauling and the... Um, but also the the pizzazz from Louis Rees-Summit. Um, Harlequins had a man sent off, but but edged London Irish 26-24 in that um, local derby. Northampton had Finn Smith making his debut after his move uh, from Worcester, and the young fly half was outstanding as, as they beat Bristol 45-31. I was at the Stonex on Sunday for Saracens against Sale, which was first in the league against second. And even though 10 of the England England's Autumn International squad were, were absent. Um, it lacked nothing for, for ferocity and, and physicality uh, as, as Saracens came from 15-5 down to win it 33-22. It was a day, it was a momentous day for for, for Alex Good, who broke the, the club's uh, appearance record. He was given a, a guard of honour as he walked out with his son, uh, which included um, former players such as uh, Michael Liner and uh, Francois Pinar and, and and Jamie George was there as he was injured and and um, the game was being watched by Owen Farrell in, in the stands and 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 Alex Good delivered a performance sort of worthy of the occasion. He he scored one try, set up two others, uh, saved a try on the goal line, uh, played fifteen and played fly half. Uh, just just an outstanding performance from him, uh, and, and he wasn't alone really. Theo McFarland delivered another barnstormer of a performance. Just hit the athleticism of the guy, the acceleration, the, the physicality, and and, and even the, what would you'd see as smaller moments like his ability, sort of basketball type skills, to go up and and win restarts and and allow Saracens to to stay on the front foot. Just outstanding, Ben Earl, who by many reckonings, including my own, should be in that England squad. He never plays anything less now than than an outstanding game for for Saracens, and, and he delivered another. Um, and they'll miss Nick Tompkins when he links up with Wales because he had a couple of sublime moments, a beautiful offload to McFarland in the build-up to to one try and and a brilliant read in defence on his own line to to stop Gus War as he does down the blind side for uh, just as Sale threatened to to come back. Uh, but Saracens held on, uh, pretty emphatic in the end, um, both offensively and defensively, to to extend their unbeaten start to the season to seven games and extend their lead at, at the top of the Premiership. Um, and and it, even Wayne Barnes got, got in on the action. At one point, the, the fans were chanting off, off, off at him after he, he went in an upright collision with uh, Ivan Van Zyl, uh, only moments after he'd sin been Nick Tompkins for doing exactly the same <laughs> exactly the same thing. But as we know, Wayne, he uh, he saw the funny side of it. And um, it was uh, it was a really good occasion. And I, I don't know, Will, you, you, you said that the, that the King's home was 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 heaving, and I saw the Stute look brilliant for that game against London Irish, and I've seen clips from from the the top fourteen this weekend, and um and just the just the passion and the, and the crowds and the noise that that the French game is is attracting at the moment. I, I think there are there are places in England where where we're moving in in that in that right direction, and the Stute looked a, looked a great place to be, and and you said King's home was as well. Yeah, Kingstone was a sellout on Friday night, which is an amazing effort from them. Um, and yes, as you said, the stoop pumping. As I think that's the thing, isn't it? That there's pockets of the Premiership where they're really doing well, and then there's other pockets where it's much harder to sell. And we've talked about this with Mark Evans a lot on these podcasts, haven't we? So the other thing I was talking to George Skivington about after the game, which is fascinating when we kind, as we've said, we kind of look the other way now for a few weeks. But this is where you make your move, isn't it? In the Premiership, the next four weeks or so. There's one round where they're not playing when England are playing the All Blacks. Um, but if you can pick up a few nice four point, five point wins over the next few weeks and get into Christmas intact, then you're halfway through the season and you're doing well. Just looking at some fixtures now and you've got 
Um, Northampton playing Exeter next weekend. You've got Saracens going to Bristol, who won't have Genge and Sinclair, which are a big miss. Um, and then after that, you've got Saracens Northampton. You've got a Gloucester, Newcastle, so and the Quinns Gloucester in a few weeks' time too. So for those teams at the top, now is the time to make your move, I'd say. And, and uh, what's also fascinating is that, that the players, it, where some of these Wasps and Worcester players are, are ending up. So Exeter are going to lose Luke Cowan Dickey to England, but they've just signed Dan Frost from Wasps, who's a who's a really good player, and 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 you know he's he's not he's not Luke Cowan Dickey, but he gives them a, a great alternative when they lose their first choice England hooker. Um, Leicester will lose Andre Pollard to the Springboks. They've just, as we've been recording this, just signed Charlie Atkinson from Wasps. Um, so they will, you know, they won't suffer as badly. And and we, you know, we spoke earlier about about Finn Smith. You know, if if uh, Dan Bigger ends up leaving or going to Wales camp, they've got another, you know, really exciting young fly off there. So I think that there are teams who are recruiting as well to to boost their their depth, so so they can try and make a move during during this period. So when we come back and and really turn our attention onto the club game. You know, post autumn we go into Europe and then and then back into the Prem. It'll be it'll be uh, we'll see who's who's made these these moves. Um, now you mentioned Mark Evans. Uh, he's he's moved down to Fiji now to run their their Super Rugby team, and we will have him on again. But he has left a, a mark on this. He's left a legacy on this pod because he we've for the last few years we've ended every episode with the God or Goddess of the week, and he one week decided that we had to. Have, he just couldn't see enough positivity and and brought brought in the devil of the week, and um, so we're going to round off this pod uh, with our god or goddess. But I am going to go with the devil. I think we need to make sure we we reference a few a few gods and goddesses, which which we will. But just going to start with Australia at Murrayfield. So Australia sneaked that win. Um, Scot Scotland should have won the game. We we all know. Um, but the stink that Australia kicked up uh, during the Rugby Championship after they were penalised for time-wasting and missed out on the chance to beat the All Blacks um, at home, you'd, you'd think they might have learned their lesson. But if you go through that game, the number of penalty goals that they that they took, which way exceeded the time limit, I mean, you're, you're allowed 60 seconds from the moment they uh, that you indicate go for the posts, and they and they were taking 80, 90 seconds to take a kick. You would think that they might have um, learned their lesson <laughs> if they're going to kick up such a stink at, at being penalised for it. Um, it obviously hasn't worked, so m- maybe we should we should round the officials into this one as well. But um, if if we want the game to speed up, and we we defend the referee for punishing Australia because they were dragging their heels at the end of that game. We've got to follow it through, um, and there were there were at least two occasions where Australia landed penalty goals that that they shouldn't have been allowed to take because they they ticked over the sixty seconds. So um, that has to be sorted uh, and bring in bring in the shot clock, and or at least if you if you're going to get pinged for time wasting, maybe learn your lesson from it. Yeah, what I actually did like in that game was right at the end the cleverness of Nick White, who was the chief. Guy who was annoyed with Matthew Reynell about that yeah. time wasting decision in the New Zealand game a few months ago, who Blair Kingholm missed that kick that could have won Scotland the game, but White then had the dropout and knew there was only a few seconds left and the clock had gone dead. And what he did was instead of kicking out on the full, which would have been a scrum against, he just grubbed it into touch. The Scottish team didn't really realise he was going to do that, and that was the end of the game. Yeah. So it was possibly gamesmanship. Uh, that that but, was smart thinking. Um, I just think I think the whole subject of time wasting. So I blame Australia and I blame the officials for not following through. That that's um, that they get a devil mark for me this week because we know it's a blight on the game and it's so easy to to correct and it's just being allowed to drift again. So uh, Nick White smart. The rest of it a negative devil mark for me. Uh, Will who let, let, let's finish on on a, on a positive who. Who would you put through as the uh, uh, as a god or goddess? Yeah, so I think if we were going gods, I think Alex Good, Good the God, <laughs> could have <laughs> been mentioned for his um, ten millionth and fourth appearance for Saracens. Played really well at both fullback and 
fly half, didn't he, yeah. in that game? Yeah. Um, so he was sensational. So a hat tip to him, a hat tip to Lewis Rees Summit, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast with his film crew and everything else. And a hat tip to Alex Mitchell too, who scored a couple of tries and just permanently is involved in good stuff that Northampton are doing. But we can't leave the pod without nominating the goddess of the week and one of the goddesses of all time for England, really, Sarah Hunter, who broke Rocky Clark's caps record in the quarterfinal, won the quarterfinal, um, 138 test matches, which is remarkable. And by the time she's played her 140th, she could have won the World Cup. So incredible achievement going from amateurism to professionalism and all the way through. And there was a nice piece with Elgin Alderman tracking her career and talk about actually she's not a great dancer and stuff like that. So have a read of that if you haven't on the times, but yeah, goddess of the week, Sarah Hunter. Not, not a great dancer, but a pretty decent number eight. Um, yeah. No class class. Uh, I, I heartily endorse that uh, nomination for Sarah Hunter. What an outstanding servant and representative of, of the game she is. Uh, well, thank you. We've battled a few gremlins, um, but we've got to the end of, of the ruck. We will be back in the studio next week to review the first full round of the Autumn Nation series. Uh, it'll be the day after England face the Pumas at Twickenham. This has been The Ruck from the Times of Sunday Times. Please follow or subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. And this episode uh, was edited from his sickbed by Alfie Reynolds. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.